to Ephesians cha- or Galatians chapter 5. If you're fifth grade or younger, there is a service downstairs. You're welcome to go to that at this time. Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verse 13. You can follow along as I read. For you were called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh, for these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Father, as we open your word this morning and consider Paul's message to the church at Galatia, I pray that you would open our hearts to receive it. Father, we all come to this room from different backgrounds. We have different ways of understanding spiritual truth. A lot of that is colored by our traditions and the things that we've heard. We also recognize that any time the Word is preached, the Word of God is sown like seed, the enemy really wants to snatch it away because... It's transformational. It makes us different people. He, he loses, and we win, and he doesn't want that. And I pray this morning that you would prohibit the enemy from snatching the truth away from our hearts, that you would open our eyes to see the truth in this passage, that we would recognize that we are free in Jesus Christ and all that that means, And Lord, if there needs to be an adjustment in our thinking, we are transformed by the renewing of our mind, and we need to have our minds brought into alignment with your truth. And so, if we are deficient in our understanding, bring us up to speed today, and give us insight, give us eyes to see and ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. I ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. As you know, uh, Rowan and I just got back this past weekend from our time down in Florida. She was down there about three weeks, and um, I was down there for about ten days. And going home always has uh, a lot of interesting kinds of effects on me. Um, It's always good to see family. It's good to see friends, to be reacquainted, to attend the church where we grew up, and very many important decisions were made uh, regarding following Christ in that, in that church and be a part of that. But it also reminds me of the Christian culture in which I grew up. And that was a culture that highly values Jesus Christ as Savior. And there is a, a, a driving passion that people come to know Him and have eternal life. And, and, and that's a part of, of that, that, that everyone needs to be saved. It fuels the fires of evangelism. But 
at least in my experience, it was also a culture that basically expressed that when you came to Christ as Savior and you became a Christian, that you were under now the, 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 the family of God to do your best to live for God till Jesus comes. Or you, uh, you know, you see Him. And all we can do is try hard. And when we fail, the, the, the phrase that stands out in my family and from my childhood, the phrase is, I'm only human. I'm only human. I can't be like God. I can't be God. I can't be Jesus Christ. I'm only human. And that is the uh, panacea of excuse for all kinds of natural, normal, fleshly behavior. And I'm reminded of that as I, as I kind of go into that culture. I'm reminded that this is the mindset. And it's actually the mindset for many believers across the nation. That we come to Jesus, we get saved, and, and then the best we can hope for, um, you know, is having His help along the way to try to be better. And the, the idea of becoming like Jesus Christ in actual fact in our behavior is foreign to the thinking. It's not possible. He was God. I can't do that. Never mind that he said some very powerful things that I'll come to in a minute along those lines. And so many believers excuse bad behavior under the umbrella of just being human. Then there's another side of it, the image of holiness that many people have. For me, this was epitomized yesterday. Um, we were coming back from Bolingbroke, and uh, we drove, I think we were driving through Streamwood, and we passed a church, and in front of the church, there was a statue of the patron saint. And this thing just gripped me, because it, it just... it. it it said to me everything that I don't want any part of. Here's this guy, the patron saint of the church, on a statue out front in the lawn. And this guy's wearing a skirt. Well, it was probably a robe, but it looked like a skirt because it was only knee length. And he was only standing on one foot. And he had his hands folded like this. And he had his eyes turned up. And it was this image of this prissy, sickly, gag-me kind of spirituality that what... I told Rowena, I said immediately, it just came out of my mouth, no wonder men in America hate religion. If that is a picture of holiness, I don't want any part of it. I don't want to be some prissy guy in a skirt with my hands folded, looking up sweet and angelically toward the heavens all the time. That's not the image. Yuck! Who wants to be that? Give me David and a sword over that image. I will run upon a troop in the strength of my God. Give me something different. That's just like, yuck! And, and we have this dichotomy in our thinking between something that, even if we thought it were possible, we don't want to be, and on the other side, an excuse for being far less than we should be 
because we're just people. As Paul is writing to the Galatians in chapter 5, and he begins to set the stage for talking about the spiritual fruit, he talks to them about the freedom they have and the fruit that God the Holy Spirit wants to develop in their lives. And one of the things that I really want us to see this morning is that the development of spiritual fruit, and that's what we're going to be talking about in the next three weeks after today. I'm going to take three of the nine each Sunday, I think. I was going to just do three sermons, and I already decided I had to do four after I got into this some more deeply. So who knows, maybe it'll be ten. But I'm thinking about three more that have to do with the fruit of the Spirit and getting deeply into what those qualities look like. And I want us to understand that Paul is talking about them being developed in the context of community. We have a tendency in America, in the West, to think of our spirituality like everything else in individualistic terms. My walk with God. My spiritual development. The fruit of the Spirit in my life. We, we tend to think of ourselves as individuals uh, going on this journey with Jesus. And then we come to church to kind of get tanked up a little bit. And then we kind of go back to being ourselves working this out one-on-one. The New Testament actually presents the whole process of being made like Christ in the context of community. And when you think about the fruit of the Spirit, so many of them cannot even be manifested individually, privately. When I'm sitting in my office by myself with nobody around, um, I can be patient as long as my computer's not acting up. I can be patient, I can be kind, I can be gentle, I can, I can be loving, I can have all of these wonderful attributes of the Spirit by myself and think that I'm great. But the minute somebody walks in the door and challenges me in some direction that I don't want to go, all of a sudden that's where the rubber meets the road. And I, and I want us to realize that the fruit of the Spirit is always developed in the context of community. You can't do it on your own. You don't even know it's happening by yourself. God wants to build in the church the fruit of the Spirit. He wants to build it in your home. He wants to build it in your lives, in the the world in such a way that in the crucible of life, people see Christ-like character being developed and being modeled. And so Paul opens this passage, verse 13, he says, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Do you see the community there? He even uses a family term. You were called to freedom, brothers. But don't let it become an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Paul brings us to a place where he says, in Jesus Christ, you have been brought to freedom. Do you realize this morning that you're free? Do you know what that means? That you and I are free? We can kind of evaluate whether or not we've understood Paul by the questions he asks. And I take you back to Romans 6 for a moment where he says, What then shall we sin that grace may abound? 
he asked that question because if you have rightly understood grace, you understand that you did nothing to contribute to your salvation. You can do nothing to keep it, and you can do nothing to lose it. It is absolutely free by the grace of God. You can't earn it. You can't maintain it. It's something God gives you. Paul says when you draw that conclusion, one of the questions that will pop into your mind is, okay, then can I do as I please, that grace can abound? And Paul said, what's wrong with your head? How can you even think like that? If you have seen what Jesus had to pay to make you holy and, and, and forgiven and to pour His grace in your life, how can you turn your back on the cross? And here he asks the same kind of question. It's not a question, but he makes the statement, it is for freedom that Christ has made us free. We were called to freedom. Free to do what? Free. We are free. Do you realize that this morning? That in your life, as a child of God, you are free like no one else is free. Unbelievers are not free. They are in bondage to sin. An unbeliever cannot follow God and obey His character in the law. Do you realize that? That's what bondage to sin means. You cannot follow the ways of God as an unbeliever. You say, I live by the Ten Commandments. Oh, no, you don't. You don't get it. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, He said, those Ten Commandments only scratch the surface. When I say, thou shalt not kill, I mean, you can't even get mad with anybody. Oh, no, you haven't kept the Ten Commandments. You haven't kept any of them. Unbelievers can't do it. It's not possible. But interestingly enough, Jesus comes to the end of the Sermon on the Mount and He says, but you are to be perfect as your Father in Heaven is is perfect. How do you explain that? Except your righteousness exceed the righteousness of the Sadducees and Pharisees who spend their whole day trying to keep the law. Unless you're better than them, you will never even see the kingdom of God. Jesus sets a standard that goes way beneath the surface. And unbelievers are not free. In fact, they take all kind of courses. The world is filled with courses. Assertiveness training. Um, how to change your type A personality to type B. Or whatever it is you want to go through to try to do some kind of emotional makeover to get better. They pay millions and hundreds of million dollars a year for counseling to try to improve themselves. But the reality is, that while some people may gain marginal control of one area, they can't get it all in focus. I was thinking of one of the famous business leaders of our time that has written a number of books, a CEO of a major well-known corporation, written a number of books on how to do it in business. But his personal life is a disaster. And I'll talk about that in his books, but it is. His personal life is a shambles. Because... He's got this part down, but he can't pull the whole thing together. Unbelievers are not free. You're free. You're free to follow Jesus Christ. 
You're free to be holy. You are free not to sin. That's amazing. But you're also free to sin. You see, Christians are the only people on the planet, truly born-again Christians are the only people on the planet that actually have a choice. No one else can choose. They're in bondage to sin. We're free. We can choose. Paul says, there is a tendency in the rising up of that old nature, there is a tendency to take that freedom and make it an opportunity for the flesh. And he says, you weren't called to that. God has called you to something different. You are free to follow Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit. Make sure that that's the choice you make. It's interesting, the word here for opportunity, do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, that the history of that word, opportunity, comes from an old Greek military term. And that term meant a base of operations or a place for strategic tactical planning. It's like where the army would go in and conquer a beachhead, and when it was all safe and clear, they'd bring in the brass, the generals, they'd set up a base camp, and it was from that camp that they would now strategize for the next part of the campaign. And that's the background of this word, opportunity. It's a base camp of operations. Um, Some people ask, when you're filled with the Spirit and you're manifesting His fruit, do you have all of it all the time? And is it fully mature? And the answer to that question is no. Uh, When you're filled with the Spirit and you're manifesting the fruit of the Spirit, it does not mean that that fruit is fully ripened and mature in all dimensions all at once. A couple of years ago, Rowena planted some apple trees in the backyard in hopes that they would kind of talk to each other and start growing apples. And this year, there's apples on them. And right now, they're about this big, and you can still see on the bottom the little leaflets from the blossom that was there. And if you were to go out there and take one of those apples right now and bite into it, it would not be very good. But it's only June. They're not going to be ready for a few more months. The fruit of the Spirit is like that. When you're filled with the Spirit, all of the fruit is present. He's there. He's beginning to manifest His fruit. But there's maturing. There's growth. There's development that takes place as you grow in Christ-likeness And the picture that Paul paints is that we have been released through the Gospel and through the power of Jesus Christ. We've been brought to this new uh, base camp for strategic operations. We have a new opportunity in front of us and we can move into the campaign to become like Jesus Christ. He said, don't come to that base camp and say, Aha, I'm free now. I can indulge the flesh. We're free. We can follow Jesus Christ. We're free. We can be filled with the Spirit. Let that be an opportunity to wage the campaign of becoming like Jesus Christ. That's what Paul wants us to get. For he says the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You'll love your neighbors. You'll love yourself. 
But if you bite and devour one another, take care that you're not consumed by one another. In other words, as we are made free in Jesus Christ, we are brought into this arena of community. It consists of this church, not this service. All of you are doing pretty well with spiritual fruit right now. No one's bothering you. You're sitting there nice and politely. You're looking at me. I'm the only one talking, so there's no arguments going on. I mean, you're you're all looking real good. And, And we can pull this off for about an hour. But, you know, this service is going to end. And then we have ministries that we do together. And we have small groups that we're in. And we have projects that we do together. And, and uh, you know, you go home as a family. You're, you're a little church within your home as you go home with family members. And it's in the crucible of life that our metal is tested regarding spiritual fruit. Kerry was talking about his um, cabin being flooded and, and he quoted that passage from Romans, uh, these momentary light afflictions, and, and they move us in a certain directions, and ultimately they, they build into us or di- discern within us the Christ-like character. Friends, we move out into life, and that's when we see, is Jesus in charge or not? I want to tell you a story. I'm going to tell myself a little bit, but... But it's illustrative because there's a point of how to do what I'm talking about. How many of you have flown recently on the airlines? You can see it just, okay, a few of you here. You've flown since 9-11, I'm sure many of you have. You know how wonderful it is getting through security and all that kind of stuff. And um, when I went to Florida, I took extra camera equipment, so that meant an extra bag. And then I had a bag of camera equipment to get through security, plus a laptop. Well, you got to imagine that all of that's a lot of fun. And uh, I've had some pretty bad experiences in recent months, including being hand-searched and taking 45 minutes while they went through my whole bag and bomb-swabbed everything, you know. And so I, I was kind of mentally prepared for that. So uh, as we were getting ready to come back, we had I had three bags to check total, and then I, st- I had my camera bag and my, and my briefcase and all that kind of stuff. And I, and I looked and saw that I could get upgrade seating, which included two free bags. I didn't have to pay for the bags. I could get upgrade seating for a net difference of $25. And I thought, well, that'd be pretty cool. You know, we could fly back business class, which on the airline that we were flying on was kind of like first class. It's just two seats. You got plenty of leg room and... Everything's really cool. So, so I said, 25 bucks, you know, we'll fly back first class. And um, so everything was going great. We left in plenty of time. We got to the airport in plenty of time. Uh, checked in the bags that were going to be checked. Delivered the rental car to the place. Got back to the airport. Yes, I had to take the bag apart and take everything out, but it was all fine because I had plenty of time. Went through security just fine. I was the model saint. Got all the way to the air side. We got an hour and a half or so before flight time. We were having a leisurely snack supper before, um, you know, we have to board the flight. And uh, and Rowena said something to me about what row are we in? I said we're in row one. And she said first class. How did that happen? And so I said, well, you know, it's kind of our anniversary weekend, and I thought it would be kind of fun. And she saw through that plain as day because 
Rowena can be perfectly comfortable in the flight attendant's jump seat. I'm the one that needs the leg room, you know, whatever, so we laughed about that. Obviously, I had bought the upgrade tickets for me, which I thought would be kind of cool. But anyway, so, but we're in row one. And I kind of knew in my head that that meant the bulkhead seats. There's nobody in front of us, which means you can't put your feet under the seat, nor can you put anything else under the seat, because there is no seat. But we're, we're doing well, and then we get to the air side, and then we find out that the flight's going to be delayed, because it was delayed with mechanical trouble from the last airport. And they're starting to run late, and a thunderstorm is rolling in, and finally the plane arrives, and I'm still, it's just a great afternoon, it's just been perfect. And I'm about as spirit-filled as, as you can be, you know. And then all of a sudden we get there, and with that seat assignment comes the privilege of boarding first. And I thought, okay, we're going to get to board first. Then you've got plenty of room to put your bag overhead, you know. But we didn't get to board first. In fact, the flight was late. They decided to unload it and reload it from the middle and the front. So they had people going out the side, down the stairs, across the tarmac, up to the middle of the plane, and then the people in the front, and they were going to try to board two streams, except they were having trouble getting the people that needed wheelchairs off of the front of the plane, so we were delayed, and so the back of the plane is filling up as they're boarding from the middle, but the front of the plane is not moving. Finally, we get the opportunity to get on, and then they're saying, we've got to get out of Tampa in five minutes or the thunderstorms are going to be rolling in and we won't be able to take off for more than an hour, so hurry, 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 hurry. So I'm going down the aisle, and I got my bag, and, you know, we get to the front, and, and all the people sitting in that section have already arrived, and all the overhead bins are full, and there's this one over seat number one, and I forgot something. In the front of the plane, everything begins to move toward the nose cone. And what that means, if you have seat number one, is that the side bends in and the top bends down and the compartment shrinks. And I open the door and put my bag up there and it's not even close. It will not fit. Meanwhile, I've still got a line of people behind me in the jetway. I'm the first guy on the plane. I can't put my bag up. I can't sit down. The flight attendants are saying, hurry. I know they're going to want to check the bag. And I'm thinking, oh, my goodness. And so now what am I going to do here? And one of the flight attendants says, well, unpack it. You know, like, duh, you know. So I put it down on the seat. I start to take things out of it. But people won't let me put it in because they're all behind me. And they want by. I can't get back in the aisle. Hurry, hurry, hurry. Push, push, push. Don't get in the aisle. You can't get it. Oh, man. I'm standing there starting to get frustrated. And, and, and I'm getting irritated. And, and in that particular moment, I looked down and Rowena's purse is on the floor. And I said, you can't leave that there. It's got to be in the bin or under the seat. <laughs> and, and very practically, from someone who has never had legroom trouble, she says, well, what good is first class if I can't have my purse on the floor? Ay, ay, ay. You know, and I'm just looking at this whole situation. And I'm starting to get really aggravated. And the person in the seat behind us is looking at me very strangely like, am I safe? And I realize Jesus is not coming out. I'm in trouble. 
Now, what do you do in that moment, friends? What do you do? Do you try harder? I'm already trying a lot of things. I'm trying to get my bag in a hole it won't fit. I'm trying to unpack it and put my gear up there rattling around by itself. I'm trying to do it with people pushing me into my seat. I'm frustrated. I'm already trying a lot of things that are not working. Do you in that moment say, you know what, I'm only human and this is just the way it is. I've, I've, I've earned this fit. I deserve this fit and I'm going to have a fit. Or do you say, you know, and this is what the Holy Spirit was saying to me. You get that tap on the shoulder. Paul, you need to come back to me. You don't have any patience. But I have unlimited patience. I have unlimited sweetness. I have unlimited kindness. And in that moment, God and I had a transaction to do. And it was, Lord, I can't. But you can. You have the ability to continue to look like yourself in this situation. And I want to yield to that. I want to continue to model Jesus Christ. Now, in all honesty, my wife's sitting here listening to me so she can, you know, verify whether I'm lying or not. So in all honesty, it took about five minutes for me to take a deep breath, settle down, and move back under the control of the Holy Spirit. But I'm telling you, that's the choice that we have. He has resources we know nothing about. He has power we don't have. And he has perfectly the character of God, because he is God living in us, that we cannot manifest. And in that moment, I had a choice. And the Holy Spirit reminded me of it. You have a choice. We have those choices all day long. You have those choices all day long. You have those moments where you recognize, I'm moving out of the Spirit. And you get that tap on the shoulder. And you have a choice. Do you know, friends, that you're free? You are free. In that moment, you can choose. You don't have to let your fleshly nature control you. You don't have to succumb to the pressure of whatever the temptation is. You are free. Unlike anyone else, you can make a choice. You can step back under the umbrella of the power of the Holy Spirit, or you can choose to do your own thing. But you are free to choose. And Paul says, don't let those choices go in the wrong direction. Christ has made you free. Now, I think those choices have to be made at two levels. There's a global level, and there's a specific momentary level. Let me explain what I mean. The first choice you have to make is to be filled with the Spirit. 
You have to come to God and say, God, I want to be filled by your Holy Spirit. I want to be under your power. I want to be under your control. I submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. I want him to rule my life. That's the global decision. You need to make that decision. If you haven't made it, you need to make it. You need to get before God sometime after this message this morning, sometime tonight. If you haven't made that decision, you need to get alone with God. You need to settle that issue with God. God, I take my hands off. I give you control. I want you in charge of my life. I really want you to, to empower me with your spirit to live in your character. I want to be under your lordship. I want to settle that issue. That's the global decision. And then, as you encounter the bumps of life, and those moments come up, you have a decision when you're moving out of the Spirit. You have a decision in that moment. When the Holy Spirit taps you on the shoulder and says, you need to come back under my control. You need to come back under my umbrella. You have a decision to make. You're free. Your choice is to move back in the Lord or try to do it yourself. Or not try to do it yourself. How many of you have had this experience in that moment? You are a follower of Jesus Christ. You're in a situation where you have an opportunity to share some juicy gossip. You're in a situation where somebody has pushed your button and you really want to come back at them with the sharpest barb you can deliver. You're in a position where your body wants to eat far more than you know God would be pleased with. You're in a position where you have been aroused to lust. You're in a position where the flesh has its inclinations rising up. And you get that tap on the shoulder by the Holy Spirit. He says, you have a choice. You need to come back. And how many of us in that moment say, but I don't want to. I have earned this fit. I deserve this fit, and now I'm going to have this fit. And everybody's just going to have to deal with it because I'm only human. Friends, you have a choice. You don't have to go there. You can come under the control of the Holy Spirit. The moment you recognize that you're moving in the inclination of the flesh, you can call a halt and come back under the control of the Holy Spirit. Why do I say that? Well, look at verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. They're in opposition to one another, so that you cannot do the things that you want. But if you are led by the Spirit... You're not under the law. Now, go back to verse 16 and look at the, at the statement. But I say, walk by the Spirit. Notice 
that that's a command. It's in, in the imperative mode, and it's a commandment to us. We must choose to act. You walk. Well, this is not a passive thing. Some people think that, that uh, becoming like Christ means you kind of sit, or, sit around on the couch until you kind of mature. Actually, if you just sit an apple on the counter forever, it rots. You probably will too. This is an active thing. You can't sit around and be passive and see the power of the Holy Spirit operating in your life. You have to take action. It's in the form of a decision. Walk. You're moving along in life. Here's a division in the road. Flesh and spirit make a choice. Take a step. Which direction are you going to go? You have a choice. You're free. You can make the choice. Walk by the Spirit, Paul says. So you have to take action. You have to make a decision. Fortunately, you don't have to have any power. Isn't that good news? This is available to everyone. You don't have to have any power. You just have to decide. And God has already indwelt you by His Holy Spirit. He's given you His presence. All you have to do is say, Lord, I come under the Spirit. I want to walk by the Spirit. I choose that path. Because the next thing he says is walk by the Spirit. The word by there means in the power of, under the agency of, under the control of. It's not your effort. You see, the truth of the matter is, I don't have any patience. I've never been a very patient. I don't have any patience. If you ever see patience coming out of me, you're seeing Jesus. But he has unlimited patience. He has the power. He is the patient one. He is the gentle one. He is the kind one. He is the faithful one. He is the one that I can come to and say, you have what I don't have. I come under your power. And that opportunity exists for you. It exists for me. Walk by the Spirit, and then what? You will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. The flesh has inclinations. It has urges. It has things that rise up within you. They they kind of push. Paul says they're in opposition to the Spirit. And he says, you don't have to go there. Are you with me? Many, many people at this point say, this this is where it comes up. (laughs) I can't be like Jesus. He's God. There's no way I can be like Him. What's wrong with you? What are you expecting out of me? And what I'm telling you this morning is no more than what Jesus Christ has said. You've heard me say this many times, but it bears repeating, because it's one of those things the devil snatches away. We have such a hard time grasping on to. In John 14 and 15, as Jesus is talking to his disciples, he's getting ready to go away, and he says this to them. He says, the things that you have seen me do. Now, what things were those? Quiet the storm. Heal the sick. Raise the dead, cast out demons, preach to the multitudes. Those things, those things, the things that you have seen me do, 
you shall do also. And greater things than these, because I'm going to the Father. Notice the, 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 the agency, the causation there. Because I am going to the Father. Why is that important? Because Jesus said, when I go to the Father, I'm not going to leave you by yourself. I'm going to give you what I have had. You have had the Holy Spirit around you. He's been with you, but He will be in you. I will give you what I have had. The same equipment. And I've said this before too, but but some of you haven't heard it. You're relatively new. I want to remind you, and I challenge you in the Scripture to prove me wrong. To be like those Bereans. If you don't believe what I'm about to say... Get in the Bible and prove me wrong. Be like those Bereans in the book of Acts that studied the Scriptures to see if those things Paul was saying was true. Here's my statement. Jesus never did anything in His body on this earth as God. Now, He was God, undisputably so. But He never once exercised His divinity. Everything He did on this planet, He did as a man filled by the Spirit. That's important for us to realize for for several reasons. One of them is, He is our example. Paul said, Be imitators of me as I am of Jesus Christ. If you have an example that you cannot possibly follow... It's not an example. It's an impossibility. But Jesus presented Himself as the example. And He gave us the same equipment. He has forgiven us our sin. He has cleansed our temple. He has released us from bondage of sin, justification. We studied that a few weeks ago. He has indwelt us and filled us with His Spirit. Those are all the things that He had. And He never acted out of His divinity. When He said to His disciples, the works that you see Me do, these are not My works. These are the Father's. Jesus made this statement in the Gospel of John. Check it out. I do nothing on my own initiative. Everything I do is what my Father directs me to do. Do you see the correlation there with our lives? We are not meant to live out of our own devices and strength and drive. We are meant to live in obedience to the direction of the Father through the Holy Spirit. Jesus lived His life on earth the way He expects us to live our lives on earth. In the power of the Spirit, manifesting His character by the Spirit. We need to remove from our thinking the notion, well, I can't possibly have the fruit of the Spirit all the time because I'm not God. I'm just a human. You are a born-again human. You have been transformed by the power of God. You have the Holy Spirit living in you. You have been cleansed from your sin. You are in right relationship with God through Jesus Christ. 
You are back in fellowship with the Father. The communion is flowing. The Holy Spirit is empowering. If you say, I can't, you're blaspheming against God Himself. It's that clear. Because you can. He says you can. Paul says, walk by the Spirit. Here, what's, what's this verse say? This is not me. What does the verse say? Walk by the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the inclinations of the flesh. Do you believe that this morning? Friends, God wants to make us look different from the world. In the community of this fellowship, He wants us to serve one another in love. In our homes, He wants us to serve one another in love. In our relationships, He wants the character of Jesus Christ to be evident so that people will see something different and say, I don't know what that is, but I want it. I want that. How can, how can I be like you? How can I have what you have? Let me tell you about Jesus. Let me introduce you to Him. We are called to live supernatural lives. Not normal lives. We are called to live supernatural lives. Watchman Nee, when he wrote the book that has come to be called The Normal Christian Life, You know, he admits in the beginning of it, it's very abnormal for the vast majority of Christians. They don't have any idea. But the normal Christian life is a life under the control of the Holy Spirit. Two choices. You need to make a global decision. This morning, if you haven't made it, you need to make a global decision concerning your whole life. You need to choose the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And the filling and empowering of His Spirit. You need the purpose in your heart. That's what I want. I have been brought to freedom. I am free to choose. That is what I choose. That's what I want. And then as you move through life, when you find yourself against something that's giving you trouble, you have a choice in that moment to yield to the Holy Spirit. And in so doing, you will not carry out the impulse of your flesh. But you will come back under the power of the life of Christ mediated by the Spirit of God. That's not that weird saint with his hands folded, just prim and proper, looking angelically at the heavens. And it's not a subnormal life of excusing our bad behavior on the basis of our humanity. It's walking a path that God has made possible through Jesus Christ. In the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at the nine fruits that the Holy Spirit produces in us. And we're going to look at them in some depth. And I want you to be asking the question, Do I look like this? Is this true of me? 
And if it's not, I don't want you to try harder. I want you to trust more. I want you to just simply come back to God and say, God, that's not who I am. He talked about this fruit, and that's not who I am, but it is who you are. I want to come under your control. God has already been talking to me about some of those fruit, and I've, and I've been yielding. And um, I'm finding him, him present and able and active. And I want you to do the same thing. We are called to live supernatural lives that reflect Jesus Christ. Father, draw us into your presence. Bring us to that place where we are fully yielded to your Spirit. We are free to choose. And we have the grace. Oh God, may we make the right choice to live by the Spirit to walk by the Spirit. And Lord, I just want to ask this morning, throughout this auditorium, everybody's going to go home today, probably. Many of us will be going to work tomorrow. There are people at work... (laughs) that push our buttons. There are bosses and there are people under our management. There are family members that push our buttons. We have Bible studies in small groups throughout the week and some of our own friends within the church rub us the wrong way and Sometime this week, we'll probably engage in some recreation. We'll be playing basketball or tennis or golf or something. And it won't go well. And there will be that pressure, that inclination of the flesh to rise up. In all of those circumstances, oh God, remind us that you have made perfect provision. That you are living in us. We are the temple of your Holy Spirit. We have his unlimited resources available. And the character of Jesus Christ is already resident in our lives. And we are free to choose. We have no excuse for being carnal. We can walk by the Spirit. Challenge us, Lord, this week. Point out the areas that we are being self-willed. And bring us under the leadership and empowerment of your Holy Spirit. I want to be that person in that place. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.